You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I want to, I have something on my heart that I want to share with you this morning, and it's going to be a little different than we normally do. I want to minister the Word of God to you, um, if that's okay. And Psalm 145 is this beautiful psalm, and it's really a, a pillar within the Jewish faith. It's a psalm that throughout Jewish tradition is that the, many of them would memorize this entire psalm and recite it at certain times of the year in the morning, twice in the morning and once in the afternoon. It's a, sol- a psalm that shows you the power of worship and the power of testimony. Oh, the Lord loves our worship, which is why in heaven that's what we'll be doing. If you actually, I was looking in uh, Revelation chapter 4 this week because that's kind of the great church service in heaven that we will all be a part of one day, that Cal's a part of right now. But they start singing these songs, which if you've not read this before, you'll see these songs and say, hey, these look like a lot of the songs that we sing. And what I love is that these are beautifully simple and powerful songs that they're singing. And they're singing to the risen Christ, the glorified Christ. They're seeing Jesus they're standing with him. You know, I, I talk to people a lot that say, you know, when I see the Lord, I'm going to ask him all these questions or I'm going to do this. I think when we see him, we're going to fall on our faces before him. And we're going to sing this song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And it's a song that never gets old. We'll sing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they were created and they have their being. Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and blessing and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb to be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. With one voice for eternity, We'll be worshiping this one, and we'll have other things to do in heaven, roles and responsibilities, but one of the main things we'll be doing is something similar. When we gather on Sundays and we worship, this is just like a, we're just barely scratching the surface. Jesus reveals himself in new ways to us. We, through the power of the Holy Spirit, get to experience his presence, but it's just a foretaste of what we will experience one day when we're with him, to see the glorified Christ in all of his glory. We'll do what John did in Revelation, which is I fell down as if I were dead.
from beginning to end in this book, there's this constant theme of God calling his people to worship. Because our eyes are opened in the place of worship to the beauty, the majesty, the breadth and depth of God. So in Psalm 145, it says, I will exalt you. I will, that's a, a phrase you should take note of because it's a phrase that's common throughout the book of Psalms. I will. Your will is, an, is a powerful thing. Your will. This is like what Scott was just talking about, a sacrifice of praise, of saying, I will exalt the Lord. Not because I feel like it, but because he is worthy. I will exalt you. By choice, I will exalt you. But there's something powerful about your decision and your ability to make a decision. With my kids, we've, we've, they've learned, if I just say I'm sorry, then maybe it'll just get it, be over with. But there's something about the will, about like something, the purity of your heart that says, this is what I know to do and what I want to do. What's the right thing to do? Your will to apologize to make it right. But I will exalt you, my God and my King. This is speaking to the supremacy of God as all-powerful, as mighty, as sovereign. He is God and there is no other. But kingship speaks to lordship. It speaks to who has your heart. God, I acknowledge you as all-powerful, as the king above, uh, as the God above every other God, but you are also king of my heart. You have my heart. You are Lord of my life. To be Lord means that he is the master, and we simply come before him and say, God, what you want is what I want, your will and not mine. I will praise your name forever and ever. He's speaking of that heavenly song. Verse two, every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Every day. Is this your experience? This is the discipline the Lord wants to teach you of being able to enter into his presence, to acknowledge his, his presence wherever you are and whatever you're doing. That It's in the every day of worship. It's giving him your first things every single day. The principle of the first things is, is something that's gone back to to the beginning. It predates the law, the principle of the first things. When Abraham stood with this mysterious high priest, Mechizeldek, he paid a tithe to Mechizeldek, meaning that he was a greater person than Abraham, that Abraham the father of the Jewish nation. He's like a Jesus archetype. And he paid, the, paid a tithe. Tithe is, isn't necessarily a law. It's a, it's a revelation of what's in our heart. Financially, the first things. And he, do, he wants the first fruits. He doesn't want the, our garbage time. He doesn't want, if we have some left over, he wants the first things because the first things reflect the purity of our heart towards him. And it's not just with our money. The principle of the first things is with our energy. It's with our, our time. It's with our love. 
There's a reason that we gather on Sundays. The early church would meet on Sundays because it's like you're consecrating your week unto the Lord. The first day of the week, the first thing I'm going to do at the beginning of the week is I'm going to give this to you, Lord. And it's going to define the rest. It's going to set in motion uh, uh, the rest of my week. The first things. The first fruits of your life. But listen, he desires the first things, but he doesn't want a tithe of your life. He wants your whole life. He wants all of you. He doesn't want 10% of you. And that's what legalism does. It puts us in this place of like, God, I checked all the boxes. But we missed the whole point that he wants your heart. He wants your heart. And every day we come into this place of, Lord, people at work are being real rascals today. (laughs) But I'm going to worship, on my break, I'm going to worship you. (laughs) I'm going to praise you. To learn the discipline that no matter where you are, I wish, don't we all wish Scott could just follow us around and just sing us these songs all day? (laughs) Like, oh, it makes it so much easier. But he can, he does have a life. But a, there's a discipline of every day I will worship, I will praise you, of coming into alignment. Worship brings us into alignment with King Jesus, with his way and his will. Verse three, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Great is the Lord. Other versions say, and greatly to be praised. But he is most worthy of our praise. Think of all the things that we give praise to in this life. And it's not necessarily bad, but we get, we get really excited. We, we give a lot of attention and, and praise and adulation for a lot of different things. People or teams or cyclones, whatever it is. But he is the one who is most worthy. He is most worthy. There are other things that might be worthy of praise, but he is the most worthy of praise. That's why he desires our first things. And his greatness, no one can fathom. Do you know that word fathom? It means to like give a lot of time and consideration to understanding something. And so even if you spent your entire life trying to fathom, and there's people throughout history who have done this, St. Augustine for one, who spent most of their life just pondering and thinking about the greatness of God. And you don't even scratch the surface. His greatness is beyond what we can understand or know. I mean, this is what heaven will be like, is God revealing his greatness for eternity. He is unsearchable, unending. Have you ever been to the ocean before and you step in the, in the ocean and it's like, that one, one of those times when you go to the mountains, you're like, I just feel so small. <laughs> I just feel so small. Like, it's good to have a healthy fear and respect of the ocean. <laughs> because of the power of the ocean itself, but also its inhabitants. But you could stand on the shore and you could even just go waist up and you feel the power of the ocean. And you could look out as far as your eye can see. But what you can see is just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of the vastness of the ocean. And that's just one ocean. And we know that the the oceans have a beginning and the end. So what we see and what we know of God is it's just a tiny fraction his greatness, no one can fathom. That's why you can, in Psalm 8, I believe it says, 
When I consider the heavens and the work of your hands, the moon and the stars, I think, who am I that you are even mindful of me? He is great and he is most worthy to be praised. That's why in Revelation, we can say he is worthy because he has created all things. And in verse four, it says, one generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. This is the beauty of multiple generations worshiping together. We need each other. Commending your works to another, they tell of your mighty acts. I've met with people in their latter years who have wondered, I don't know why God still has me here. I wish he would just take me. And I would say, one of the reasons is this, to commend of his mighty works, to declare the faithfulness of God in your life to anyone and everyone who will listen. And listen for young people declaring that God is still moving today to commend his works and declare his mighty works to all generations. And the older generation gets encouraged that God is still moving and they're not brainless TikTokers, right? But they have this heart for the Lord. One generation to another. I want to encourage you. Invite people into your home. Tell them what the Lord has done in your life. There's a, the power of testimony. There was a, a man I knew. His name was uh, Floyd Beckstrand, and he was a, a legend of a pastor in our state, in North Dakota, where we grew up. And I was just a young man, just starting out in ministry. I met him in this uh, it was like this big reception in a gym. It was just packed full of people. And he grabbed me, not like accosted me, but he took me and he, he looked me in the eye and he said, young man, God's got a call on your life. And right there, he began to just pray over me and weep over me. Pray the anointing and power of God over me, faithfulness. We became friends. And one day he shared with me this story that in the, the 50s and late 50s or 60s, something like that, he was, him and his wife and two daughters were traveling through North Dakota. And a snowstorm came. And they were stuck in the snowstorm. It was a dangerous situation. And they were driving down the road and they saw a light. And it was an old schoolhouse. And the teacher's living quarters were connected and they saw the light on. So he went to the door and this young man answered the door and they said, Can, is, would it be all right if we stayed the night? We're... We have nowhere else to go. And so the young, the young teacher allowed them to come and stay the night. That night, Floyd shared the gospel with this, this young man. And he wanted nothing to do with it. The storm passed and the next day they went on their way. 30 years later, Floyd received a phone call. And it was this young man. He wasn't young anymore. But he said, I've been looking for you for 15 years, Floyd. He said, after that night you guys left, I thought nothing else of, of the words that you had spoken to me about the gospel. He said, that was the, the first and only year that I ever was a teacher. After that, I went into trucking and I drove all over the United States. Kind of had my own rhythms and ways. And every night I would get my alcohol and I would go and I'd sit in my hotel room 
and I would do my thing. He said, but one night I sat down on that bed. I sent the alcohol next to me. I sat down, I looked over and I saw the Bible sitting there like I do it all the time. But that night, the Lord reminded me of what you said to me in the school that night. And right there, I poured the alcohol down the drain. I gave my life to Jesus. He said, I've been looking for you for 15 years to tell you. I can tell you as a young man hearing that testimony, not even having lived 30 years at that time in my life, it was such an encouraging testimony and imputed some sort of faith to see people saved through seed sown. If the Lord has done something in your life, we have to share about it. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand, how many of you have experienced a miracle in your life? That's a lot of people. Just, and that's just this room. That's amazing. We should tell people, you can put your hands down. You can, we need to tell, commend those works to another because this is what happens when we do in verse five. It says, they speak of your glorious splendor and of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful, wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. It says, they speak and something happens in me. When we speak of his, when, when they speak of his glorious splendor, it causes me to meditate. It causes me to consider the beauty and majesty and faithfulness of God. When they proclaim his awesome power, it causes me to also proclaim his great deeds. It spurs one another on in faith, does it not? And when we all gather and we sing in worship, just as you've heard me say this before, I love worship because we're singing Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, bless the Lord, or Jesus, you are worthy. We're singing these songs, but they're all, we all have our different reasons. <laughs> we all have our, dis, our specific and unique circumstances, but the same answer. And we become unified. And I love it when my kids can come in here and watch you. Grandmas and grandpas and young people worshiping the Lord. Just yesterday, I love my son. He's just sitting there playing, singing. Sing, Holy Spirit, come rest on us. I, I love that, but it's ingrained, and it's not just because of us at home, it's because of the culture that He's a part of here, of people who love the Lord. Verse 8 it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, He has compassion on all He has made. Hallelujah. All your works praise you, Lord, and your faithful people extol you. All your works praise you, Lord. The things that God has created, even the, all of creation, right? That's what Jesus is talking about, the triumphal entry. He's like, if these people don't worship me, the rocks are going to cry out. He is so worthy of worship. Even creation calls out and worship and praise to him. Your faithful people will extol you. They tell you, they tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom because your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Just as Pastor Drew shared last week briefly, governments come and go. Kings and kingdoms come and go. But his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we're a part of something much greater. We are just strangers in a strange land, sojourners passing through, part of a kingdom that is bigger than we can imagine. Can we stand again? I want to minister this to you. Worship and testimony builds faith. It encourages and builds and edifies our hearts. God desires not that you just be a survivor in this life, but that you thrive throughout it. That you walk in power and in victory all of the days that you're given. But it says this, the Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises. Someone needs to hear that this morning. The Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises. He hasn't forgotten. He is faithful in all that he does. It is his nature. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up those who are bowed down. And the eyes of all look expectantly to you. And you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. This is what he does. This is the natural overflow and byproduct of worship and testimony. The ability to see God. You know, we're all the main character in our, in our, own, in our, in our story, aren't we? But we forget that we are just one of many in this whole story of God's redemption of humanity. And he is the same. He shows no partiality. He's not concerned about your origin story, whether or not your, your parents served the Lord. He can redeem you even if you have a messy past. He is faithful throughout all generations. And so we look to him expectantly not just on Sunday mornings, but when we come into this place on Sundays, we come expecting the Lord to do something. And when we're living our lives, going the day to day, we're at home with our families, we come with a heart of expectancy that Lord, when I call on you, you will come, you will hear me. You are trustworthy in all of your promises and you are faithful in all that you do. You open your hand. You are not spiteful or withholding. You open your hand and you, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Thank you, Jesus. He is righteous in all of his ways and faithful in all that he does. The Lord is near who, to the, all those who call upon him, to call upon him in truth. God responds to that earnest heart, that heart cry, who just want him. And Jeremiah, it says, if you seek him, 
you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. He is hidden in plain sight. He is accessible to anyone and everyone. Hmm. I'm just feeling in this room this morning that there are those here just feeling weary. It's only June and maybe the summer is already long with the kids at home or whatever it is. Maybe work is a grind. Maybe you feel like you've just been waiting and waiting and waiting for that breakthrough. You find that frustrating, that frustration beginning to take hold in your heart. I believe the Lord wants to touch you this morning. He is here. And like I said, he responds to hunger. He responds to hunger. And he loves you with an everlasting love. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.